Would you join me in a brief prayer? Would you speak to us, O Lord, because we desperately need truth? Would you speak to us because we desperately need guidance? Would you speak to us because we are desperate for comfort and for rebuke, for correction and training in righteousness? Speak to us as you have done throughout the generations, week in and week out at your church. Speak to us so that we may be steadfast and look to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. The uh, first half of Acts 2, as we saw last week, is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The birth of the church is what we find in the first half of of Acts 2. The second half, today's passage, records the first ever sermon in the church. So I want you to consider this. We have about 2,000 years of church history, millions of churches, billions of sermons that have been preached throughout the age, and it all begins with this message. This, today's passage, uh, is the first sermon that was delivered in the church. And it seems that what Peter is doing with this message is he is reflecting upon what Christ has done and answering two very crucial questions. The first question he's answering is this, where are we? In other words, as a church, where are we? What is our moment in history? And the second question that he's answering is, how should we respond? How should we respond to what Christ has done? And so I want to go through uh, Peter's message, just looking at these two questions. First, Peter's message tells us where we are at in history. Uh, This is what it says in Acts 2.17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. See, Peter here is uh, preaching from Joel 2. And if you look at the book of Joel in the Old Testament, it's it's a book about God's future return. That's the main theme. See, Joel talks about this time in history called the Day of the Lord. And as Joel describes it, this is the time when God will return to bring final judgment to the sinners and salvation to the repentant. Now, according to Joel, all of this is going to happen in the last times, at the end of history. But, as Peter stands up to deliver this message, he looks around and he observes everything that has just happened. And he realizes that that time, this end of the age, the day of the Lord, Peter observes, has come upon them now. You see, Joel 2 says, in the last days, God's Spirit is going to be poured out on everyone. And Peter just has experienced this. This just happened. And so the immediate realization is, wait, we are in the last days. Uh, If you read onward, 
later, uh, as Peter continues this um, message in Joel, it says that in the last days, the sun uh, will turn to darkness, the moon will turn to blood, there's going to be signs on heaven and on earth, and destruction is going to be everywhere. Uh, Peter reads this uh, from Joel 2. Now, did this also happen? Yes, it happened. It happened when Jesus was crucified. Do you remember, uh, as Jesus was dying on the cross, it was the middle of the day, but the gospel writers tell us the sun turned to darkness. As Jesus was being crucified, there were earthquakes on earth, And signs in heaven, the sun had darkened. Matthew even records that when Jesus gave up his last breath, dead people started to come out of their tombs. Dead people started to resurrect and walk around. Right? If you think about this, these are all signs of the end times, according to Joel and the Old Testament. But we see these things occurring when Jesus died. Now, what, what is all of this? What is, what is this saying? Well, the Bible is trying to tell us that when Jesus was on the cross, the last days came upon him as he was receiving God's final judgment in our place. In other words, God's final wrath, the judgment day wrath that the Old Testament talked about That came upon Jesus at the cross. See, Jesus faced our final day judgment. He faced it in our place. And in return, we received his salvation, his life. I know that when we hear um, things like the end times, immediately our minds go to a place in the far future. Um, We think about Jesus' future return um, along with all sorts of these natural disasters and and chaoses. Now, while this is true, the gospel also teaches that the last days have already been ushered in at Jesus' first coming. So, here's a very helpful graph to help us, um, that that helps us... uh, conceptualize or visualize what the Bible is teaching. So it begins with creation in the Old Testament. It comes along, and then at Jesus' first coming, what Jesus does is in his death and resurrection, he ushers in the last times, the end days, the church age. And then, as we look forward to his second coming, that's when The age to come will begin. And so as we observe our time and place, where are we? We are living in the church age. We're living in the end times. See, what Peter is doing in this message is he's observing everything that just happened. He thinks upon the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Peter makes this bold claim. 
that the age of the church is the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter is saying, that time is now. If you, um, if you read or listen to uh, some of the great speeches that have ever been made, um, these speeches have a way of keenly drawing people's attention to the moment. You see, the truth is, most people are either living in the future, their minds are you know, ahead, or they're, either, or they're looking backwards in the past. These great speeches that inspire people, they have a way of drawing people's attention to the moment, to the present. These speeches awaken the heart and the mind so that the hearers can understand the critical moment that they're in. For example, um, in his Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln, he begins by reminding people, right, that some time ago, or he says, Four score and seven years ago, our founding fathers, they brought forth this new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the truth that all men are created equal. Now, as Lincoln draws, reminds the people of the past, he's standing there on this soil at Gettysburg where some 50,000 soldiers have died. And he says this, drawing the reader's or the hearer's attention to the moment. He says, now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. The Gettysburg speech, the address, sharply reminded the people of the time that they were living in. In a time when the nation was worn from a war among themselves, Lincoln draws attention to the present, the now. He's saying the nation is being tested. The existence of their country was on the line. Would they come to this realization? See, in the first sermon, Peter's doing the very same thing. The first sermon given to the church properly locates the church in its place in history, and that is the end times. Peter is awakening the people to the moment. Where are we? We are in the end times. You know, friends, I I must admit that, you know, throughout the years, um, throughout the many generations, uh, the centuries, The church has said a lot of wrong things about the end times, right? From predicting dates when Jesus would come back to uh, locating correspondences and things like 666 or the mark of the beast. I can't tell you how many times people have tried to identify the Antichrist. People said it was the Pope and then communist USSR, to Barack Obama, to Donald J. Trump. The church has made some horrible predictions over the years about the end times. And unfortunately, 
evil and malicious people have profited off of this end-time fear-mongering. Now, I think in an effort to really distance ourselves as much as possible from these conspiracy people, um, the church has stopped talking about the end times. The church has stopped preaching about it. The church has stopped teaching about it. And we've become a we become a, a community where the end times isn't on our minds. But, but Scripture is teaching, the Gospel teaches us that, that Jesus, not only is He going to come back, but in His first coming, He has already ushered in the kingdom of God. That the end times has come upon us with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so, in an effort to remind you of this truth once again, church, let me say this. Friends, believers, church, we are living in what the Bible calls the end times, the last days. And I say this not to bring fear or to be conspiratorial, But I want to remind you of this because I don't want to diminish in any way what Jesus has done. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. When Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus really did drink the cup of God's final wrath and judgment. See, Jesus said, because I live, you also shall live. See, friends, if we don't believe that we are in the last days, what we are doing is we are nullifying the work of Jesus. We are ultimately saying the cross and the resurrection, that was just practice. And we have to do the real thing. See, the work of Jesus proves to us That we living in the end times, we shouldn't be fearful of it. Saying that we are living in the end times, it does bring attentiveness, but it doesn't bring fear. Knowing that we are in the end times, it should give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Knowing that we are in the end times instills in us joy as we are reminded that the blood of Jesus has the final say. See, Peter can't make it any more clear that because of what Jesus has done and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are living in what the Bible calls the end times. We are on the cusp of the end of history where the work of salvation has been completed. And now we are looking for that day when this inaugurated kingdom will be consummated. You know, I was doing some reflection um, this week as I was thinking about Acts 2 and this message. um, And I remembered that um, the first sermon that I preached at ELM uh, was about the kingdom of God. And I talked about how the kingdom came in Jesus. 
and how the kingdom will be completed in Jesus. You know, that message of the kingdom coming was a wake-up call for the church to understand the time that we are in, this critical moment. Now, fast forward five years, February 28th, 2021. You know, providentially, on the day when we organize as a church, the message is the same. It's the same message. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus, and it will soon be completed in Jesus. Church, do you understand this time? This critical moment that we are living in. Again, the goal of this reminder is not to make you fearful or stressed out. I know that when we think about deadlines, we become super anxious, or at least I do. But I mean, when you talk about the deadline of the earth, of this world... I mean, that that can really stress some people out. But the gospel teaches that the end times, this deadline, ought not to be stressful or make us anxious. But as we think about the end times, right? as we talk about it, as we emphasize it, as we remind each other of it again and again and again, What we are doing is we're bringing glory to what Jesus has done. We're emphasizing his finished work. And by reminding the church of this again and again, the hope is that as we understand the moment and by believing and trusting in Jesus' work, the hope is that maybe this message that we are in the end times will loosen your grip a bit on the things that you are holding on to so tightly in this world. As we think about the end to come, Jesus' first return, first coming, and his second coming, perhaps that will help us loosen the grip that we have on the things that we hold so tightly, so tightly, things the things of this world, things that have no eternal significance. I don't know what it is that you're holding on to so tightly. Maybe it's your reputation, your career, your financial security, maybe even your family, your hopes and your dreams. As this message of the end times this critical moment that we are in, as Peter preaches this moment, the hope is to loosen that grip and try to hold on to more tightly his kingdom and his righteousness. Now I'm reminded of Jesus' words where he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? See, Peter's message, the first sermon preached in the church, locates the church in its place and time in history. We are living in the end times, the gospel teaches. So, Peter's message answers, where are we? The second question that Peter 
um, his message seems to answer is how should we respond, right? If by virtue of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are living in the end times, what should we do then? And this is the exact question that the people ask, right? When Peter says, listen, um, you should know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Um, They, the people, they're cut to the heart. And and then and then they respond to Peter by saying, "What shall we do?" Right? This is the exact same question. What shall we do? If Jesus is Lord and Christ, if He inaugurated this last time, what should we do? And Peter's response in verse thirty-eight is this: "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins." And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say a few things about this call to respond. Okay? First, when, when the people ask, what should we do? Right? If, if Jesus is Lord and Christ, what should we do? And Peter first says, repent. Repent. Now, repentance, according to the Bible, isn't just asking for forgiveness. Okay? Repentance isn't just being remorseful, uh, feeling guilty, or sorry for what you've done. Okay? But when the Bible talks about repentance, the Bible speaks of repentance as an act of turning around. It's an about face. So repentance isn't just stopping and acknowledging and feeling remorseful, but it's turning. A, a few years ago, I was, um, I was in a car with our brother Jay Lee and one other brother. Whom I'll who who I'll name uh, leave unnamed. Uh, we had visited New York, and we were driving back home to Pennsylvania. And this other brother, this unnamed brother, was driving. And as he was driving, he kept going the wrong way. Uh, he would make a wrong turn, or he would miss an exit. And every time he would do that, he would just get so upset. He would you know, hurl curses down at himself. He would say, man, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. Um, You know, I'm so tired. And he kept acknowledging at every missed turn or at every missed exit, he kept acknowledging his mistakes, but he would keep driving. Now, I'm sitting in the back of the seat, uh, back, back of the car, and as I see this brother just driving, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Repent. You need to turn back. But he just kept going, thinking that we'll find our way eventually. You see, what true repentance is, is acknowledging and turning back. Another helpful way to understand repentance is um, the act of realignment. If you've ever experienced uh, the wheels of your car uh, being misaligned or the yeah, the wheels of your car being misaligned, you know that even if you hold the steering wheel straight, the car will always veer off to the right or to the left. What repentance is, is repentance is being realigned to the truth. So, I mean, consider, let's say, a musician. It doesn't matter how well-trained he or she is, how much experience that person has. It doesn't matter how expensive their instrument is. Before a musician plays his or her piece, before the concert begins, the musician will tune his instrument. 
you will be realigned with that perfect pitch. See, that's what repentance is. Peter is calling the people to realign themselves to the truth that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He's saying, stop and turn. Whatever direction your life is going in, realign yourself to the truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So what is Peter doing in this first sermon? As he's reflecting back on what Jesus has done, the significance of the cross and resurrection, he draws the church's attention to the present moment. What time are we living in? And then he calls the church to respond with repentance. You know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's helpful. Um, as we think about the context, right, Acts 2, um, we find that the, the people that Peter is preaching to, um, they're actually visitors. Uh, they've come to Jerusalem from all throughout um, the, the greater ancient Near East. And they've come to Jerusalem to worship. It's the holidays. So they've come to worship at the temple. And their goal is to come, do their religious duties, and leave. Now, I know if I was one of them, um, I would just be planning in my head, how can I be the first one in and the first one out? Right? How can I avoid the crowd? How can I avoid the traffic? And just be in and out, do what I have to do, and leave. Now, that's what I would be thinking. And I think that's what a lot of people were thinking then, too. But as they're there on this day, um, they're confronted with the truth of the gospel. They hear the message of who Jesus is, what has happened, and they're confronted now with this question. What are you going to do? Will the people come to the realization of the time that they are in? Will they believe and know the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection? Or will they just delay? Will they delay their repentance? Will they just return back to their hometown? Will they give up everything they came to do in Jerusalem? Will they respond by realigning their lives to this gospel message? That's what they're faced with in Acts 2. That's Peter's message. And that is the message for us today as well. Peter says, you who crucified Jesus, how will you respond to the truth that Jesus is both Savior and Lord? How will you respond? You see, in a sense... What we do on a Sunday morning, week in and week out, is we are reenacting this. As we go about our busy lives, living six days, you know, forgetting about the kingdom and the time that we're living in, we gather Sunday. And as we worship, we're reminded of what Christ has done. And the times that we are living in now, we're reminded that the end is yet to come And Christ's work has fully secured that. 
And that allows us to loosen our grips a little bit on the things that we are holding on to so tightly in this world. And as we gather for worship, as we hear the preaching of God's word, it's a call week in and week out for realignment. Am I tuned to the truth of God's kingdom? Am I, re- am I aligned with this gospel truth that Jesus is both Savior and Lord? Have I turned fully from the ways that I've been going in? And am I responding to this call, to this kingdom call, that Jesus is Lord over my life, that he is Savior of this world? That's the message this morning. That's the message every week. To be reminded of what Christ has done and to answer the call to be realigned to this gospel truth. So will you respond this morning? I know many of us are probably thinking, you know what? Um, I'm just going to wait until the pandemic ends for me to you know, really get back in sync with the Lord. Or I'm going to wait until we could meet in person for me to really pursue the kingdom of God. You know what? I'm going to wait until I can meet as a community group to really repent of my sins. No, friends, church, the call is this morning. As you are faced with this message that Christ is Savior and Lord, will you respond now? Will you respond now? You know, just to conclude, um, you know, the book of Acts begins with Jesus ascending to heaven. And when Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples are left wondering what's going on, what is happening. Remember, the disciples all along were thinking, you know, Jesus, you defeated sin and death. You're alive. It's over now, isn't it? But then all of a sudden, Jesus departs. He ascends. And the disciples have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what to do. They thought it was all over. But their leader, Jesus, just leaves. Now, the clueless disciples, the confused disciples... When the Holy Spirit comes, they understand why. Why did Jesus ascend and ascend to heaven and send the Holy Spirit? It's so that the church can continue to proclaim this good news with urgency and fervor, bringing people into the kingdom of God as we await his second coming, as we await the day when he will return. This is the mission of the church. Peter realizes this. He knows this. And so immediately he stands up to proclaim the good news. And going back to Abraham Lincoln, after he you know, sharply reminds the people of this critical time that they are living in, Abraham Lincoln continues his speech with the how. How should we respond? If we are living in such a critical time, what should we do? And Lincoln says this, It is for us, the living, 
rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they, this deceased people, which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. Acts 2 is not only a reminder of the time that we are in, but it's a call to respond, to go forth in proclaiming this good news as a church. And so this morning, will you respond by realigning yourself with this great kingdom call, with this great kingdom vision of what Jesus has done and very soon of how he is to return. Join me in prayer at this time.